This week on One Body, Stewarding God's Creation, Mother Miriam, the founder of Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, talks to us about her conversion into the Catholic faith and about her order, which has settled in Beloit, Kansas. Mother Miriam is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, George Tolman. So we have Mother Miriam on the line. Mother Miriam, can you hear me? I certainly can. Wonderful. Hello. Good to be with you. Yes, yes. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm looking forward to, to this interview here. And again, I did a little bit of research about you and your order last night. Um, I'm not, and so I'm looking forward to what you have to say here. But uh, Mother Miriam is the founder of the religious order, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. And the order recently moved from Oklahoma, and I believe it was Tulsa, to Beloit. That's right. Yes, to Beloit, Kansas. And so, a recent move, and um, nonetheless, God's providence can, continues to shine on your ministry, sister. Mother, my first question to you is: What can you tell us about your background and your conversion? to the Catholic faith. Well, I could speak to you for a, a year on that one. It's been <laughs> such a journey. It's been so great. And and a number of people do know that I came from a Jewish background. My mother, father, grandparents, Russian and Hungarian Jews. We grew up as conservative Jews and um, and really um, we would, we knew we were the people of God on earth. And it, I, I want to uh, stress that because I would love for Catholic families to grasp that today, that we are the people uh, of God on earth. I say the most Jewish a Jew could be is to be Catholic, <laughs> um, because the Jewish people are waiting for the, the Messiah to come, and he did come, and it's the, most, it's the most Jewish thing a Jew can do is to believe in him. So, And we are the people of God. It is a matter of who we are, the identity, not just a religion or going to church. And I know faithful Catholics understand that, but I came into Christianity through evangelical Protestantism. And for me, it was an incredible journey because I met such a thing. I was in my 30s when my brother David, who's two years older than me, was doing some uh, reading and he came across an article that said there was such a thing as Jewish people alive on the face of the earth who believed that Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah. We were not even allowed. I had never even said the word Jesus. We were not allowed that name in our house. And to me at the time, I was, it was such a shock because I said I, everybody in the world could believe what they want. They could do their own thing. But Jewish people should believe this. Jewish people believe that the Messiah the only hope the world has, we waited for him every Passover. We waited. We had our door open. We had a chair for Elijah. We waited for the Messiah to come. We knew that when he came, that we would be collected from the four corners of the earth as Jewish people and put back in Jerusalem where we belong, and uh, that uh, God would set up his kingdom, that life would make sense, that there'd be peace on the earth when Messiah came. It was the only hope the world had. And now I found out there were Jewish people, of all people, who believe that he came 2,000 years ago. I was so shocked. And I said to my brother David, how could they believe that, that he came 2,000 years ago, the only hope the world has, 
We knew nothing of it, and he left. He left. He didn't set up his kingdom. There's no peace on the earth. Life does, still does not make sense. And he left. We missed the whole thing. That would be an insanity, an absolute insanity. A couple of years later, I wound up in California and met some of these so-called Jews for Jesus. <laughs> and over a year and a half, they led me to the Lamb that took away the sin of the world and mine. And they took me through the sacrificial system, first through original sin, but the Jewish people believe original sin. I knew of it, but I didn't have any idea of the impact that it has on our life today. And so they explained to me that we come into the world separated from God, and that if we leave the world that way, we'll be separated from Him for all eternity. The wages of sin is death. And they explained to me that what we've earned, if God were fair, if the wages of sin is death, that's We've earned death then. Every one of us has earned that wage by our sin. And they explained that we cannot come into the presence of a holy God. But God is a holy God who cannot come into the presence of sin. But he's also a loving God who provided the way for us to come back into relationship with him. And they explained to me how God, in his love, without compromising his holiness, provided that way. And they took me through 1,500 years of that mosaic sacrificial system where there were many sacrifices, bulls, goats, lambs. But the, the, the sacrifice of the lamb was kept burning in the temple all the time. And people would come and they would take a lamb, just like the, the lamb in Exodus. It had to be a year, a male, uh, without blemish, without spot, a perfect offering for a perfect and holy God. And the individual would come to the temple in front of the priest, the high priest. They'd put their hand on the head of that little one-year-old, perfect, spotless lamb. And it would be an act of symbolism of the sin passing from that individual, the sinner, onto that lamb. And that lamb, who was innocent, but who symbolically had taken upon himself the sin of this person, was slain, and his blood shed on the altar as an offering to God for my sin. It blew me away. I said, why would God do that? Why would God put an innocent animal to death for my sin, put me to death? It made no sense to me. But it began to get through to me that sin is no light issue to God, that he would do that. And at the same time, those people explained to me the blood of bulls and goats and lambs through 1,500 years of the Mosaic sacrificial system could never take away sin, but they were a sign. In the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, um, the Day of Covering, is the highest holy day of the whole year, when the high priest of Israel would offer for the sins of the whole nation. But it was a Kippur, it was a covering. And so they explained to me that they could cover, the blood covered the sins, that God would pass over the sins, but they couldn't take the sin away. They had no power to change the heart of the worshiper. And they explained to me that millions of millions and millions of lambs through all those years could not take away sin, but they were assigned to the one that one day would. And they pointed to one verse in the New Testament, which I never knew, never heard in my life, when John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan, and Jesus came into the Jordan, 
And John looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. And at that moment, I almost, I didn't physically see it, but it was as if a curtain was pulled back on a stage and I saw the scene. And I thought if one little Old Testament lamb uh, could take upon himself symbolically, temporarily, ineffectually, the sin of a single person temporarily for a time, what could the blood of God's Son do, who took upon himself the sin of the entire world transferred to him, past, present, and future, man, woman, and child? I knew it was true. Of course, that was the penetrating grace of God. I knew it happened. And my fear all this time would be that a man can't be God. As a Jew, I'm not going to stand before God and have him accuse me of worshiping a man. And I realized that night I was right. A man cannot be God. But if God exists, he can become a man. And I gave my life to that incomparable lamb. And that my life was totally, totally changed overnight. And I became an evangelical Protestant. I didn't know what evangelical or Protestant was. I was a Christian, a follower of the Christ is all I knew. But that began, that began my Christianity, and it, uh, for the next 18 years I tried to save Catholics, because <laughs> my pastor was an ex-Catholic, my first Bible study was taught by an ex-Catholic who was taught by an ex-priest, who taught me that the Catholic Church was, excuse the language, the whore of Babylon, a man-made false religious system, leading millions astray. So for 14 of my 18 evangelical years, um, I tried to save every Catholic. And it was in the summer of 1990 that in my, just through a series of events, I was caused to look into the Catholic Church. I knew if I did not look into the Catholic Church, the last thing on earth I wanted to do, um, but I'd be turning from God, which I wouldn't do. So it it began a four and a half year uh, journey. And um, I came finally to realize that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who no man could look on and live, and yet who became man for us, went a further step of unbelievable condescension and became our food. And I entered the Catholic Church. <laughs> 1995. Wonderful, wonderful. The greatest uh, tragedy, if I might say, is just what you just said. Uh, the Catholics don't know their faith. When I came in, I don't blame anybody for it. It is what it is. Jesus is building his church, and there's been a great loss of faith, and I think today an apostasy. Uh, it's, it's, I think we're living through the apostasy that the scriptures spoke about in the last time, which so many have lost their faith. It's, it's just it's so tragic. But we have more than anyone this side of heaven, any more, more than anyone on the, on the face of the earth. And um, uh, I, I just would the thing that I wish for most is to help Catholics know who they are, to know the richness. There's nothing Catholic that has not come from the Jewish faith that God gave Israel, because Christianity is a Jewish religion. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is Judaism fulfilled in the Jewish Messiah spread to the four corners of the earth. That's what it is. That's what it is. We are grafted onto Israel. And... Um, the people of Israel as a whole, 
uh, did not believe. But the remnants knew that God, people say, well, the Jews turned from God. Well, indeed they did in large measure. But God built his church on the prophets and, and um, apostles and prophets, yes. uh, all Jewish. So the Last Supper, he instituted the Eucharist, all Jewish, and, and uh, the priesthood and, and everything comes from, comes from uh, the background that God gave through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and so forth. So it's, when you begin to understand it, just as you said, I agree with you, it's just so rich, and it, it means the conversion of, of Catholics, too. Mother Miriam, your your conversion story is beautiful. I need to get to talking more about why did you end up in Beloit, Kansas. So first, I, I want to throw the question at you here. What inspired you to start a religious order? And can you explain for our our audience, can you explain the charism and the reason for the name of the order? So what inspired you, the charism, and the reason for the name of your yeah, order? Yeah, of course, of course, of course I can. And by the way, the I know I won't say it, the answer to your question um, <laughs> that you pose to your listeners, um, but when someone does call it with the answer, I have a little story on that, but I won't give Perfect. it away right now. Perfect, so, okay. What inspired me to do this? Um, it's an, I never, ever planned to start a religious community. Who would, who would do that? Not me. But um, uh, when I was 19 and single and Jewish, I've always been single, never married, and, and Jewish in New York, the news came out that nuns had permission to shorten their habits to any length. And I didn't even know the word habit. But the, the news that nuns had permission to shorten their habits to any length went right through me like a bolt, like an electric bolt through my heart. Um, I, I knew nothing. I never. I did, had no idea who Jesus was. I didn't know he was a Jew even. I didn't know anything, but I knew that these women that I used to see in long black and white habits in Brooklyn were in the world to affect the world for God. And when I heard that news, I thought instead the world affected them. And the reason I thought that is it was the middle of the miniskirt error in New York and in the 1960s, in the middle of the miniskirt error in New York. And that's, I thought, the shortening of habits. I didn't know anything about Vatican II. I didn't know anything about anything. I thought the shortening of habits was an accommodation to the miniskirt error and that the world had entered them instead of their, you know, going out to the world. So. It, it was my deep and immediate loss, and I want to quickly add that I've met many, many sisters, nuns, religious, in modified habits, uh, or out of their habit, who love God more than I may ever love Him, and have served Him with their whole lives more than I have told Him. But that was simply the response of a 19-year-old Jewish girl who didn't have a clue and thought it was because of the miniskirt era. That was, it was my deep and immediate loss. I lost what wasn't mine. It had nothing to do with me. I, that was the end of that. I never forgot it. 26 years later, I was listening. I was still uh, an evangelical, trying to save my, who had become Catholic brother at that point. And um, I was listening to a troublemaker by the name of Scott Hahn <laughs> and four tapes having to do with the debate on the Reformation issues of faith alone, scripture alone, grace alone. And I listened to four hours of those tapes, and at the end of those four hours, 
I still wanted to save every case. I, I wasn't sold on the Catholic Church whatsoever. <laughs> but Scott Hahn said at the end of that time, for the one who will look into the claims of the Catholic Church, 2,000 years of church history, the church fathers and such, he said to that one will come, his words, a holy shock and a glorious amazement to find out that what he had been fighting and trying to save people from was, in fact, the very church Christ established on earth 2,000 years ago. I was standing uh, at uh, the ironing board in my kitchen at the time, packing up my house to go on staff heading women's ministries of a Protestant church. And with Scott's words, a holy shock is what went through me again physically. The exact same thing that happened when I was 19 happened when I was 26. Never happened again. Those two times, as if you shot physically an electric bolt right through me. Mm -hmm. And it paralyzed me both times, maybe for a second and a half. It was so strong. And I knew on the spot that if I did not look into the claims of the Catholic Church, I'd be turning from God. And um, that began my journey to the Catholic Church. And I, I read and studied on staff at the Protestant Church. I used to read and study at 1, 2 in the morning so nobody could know. And I met with my best friend. I told four people only in the world that I was looking into the Catholic Church because my Protestant pastor was an ex-Catholic, and so were half the congregation ex-Catholics. And I wasn't going to let them know I was looking into the Catholic Church. Um, I didn't want it to disturb their faith because I couldn't believe it would be true, the Catholic Church. And I remember going to dinner in California, big restaurant, Sizzler Salad Place, with my best friend, Beth. And I told her I was going to leave the church in California, leave my position heading women's ministry. I was going to go to New York and look into the Catholic Church. And she looked at me and she said, Roz, my given name Roz, Roz, if you become a Catholic, she said, you're not going to be a nun, are you? Because she knew that I was always in full-time so-called ministry. What would, what, a, what would a woman do in the Catholic Church? She'd be a nun. And I said to her, Beth, I don't know, I hadn't thought of that. But I remembered the long black and white habits in New York, and I said to her, can you see me walking through this Sizzler restaurant in a black and white habit to the floor? Even if people think I'm a medieval wacko, they have to think of God. Whatever they think of God, they have to think of God. And, you know, I could say from that day on, I have never stopped longing to be assigned to God in the world. And it was two and a half years later that I became Catholic, and my dream has been to have an order of sisters that will return the hemline to the floor and the habit to the world as the glorious sign to God that it is. And I visited personally a number of orders, and everyone said, we think you're called to the religious life, but not here, not there, you're too old, or this isn't for you. And finally, I met with Father Rochelle in New York, and he said, you need to start your own order. And I never thought of it, but God led it that way. And so this began at the invitation of Cardinal Raymond Burke in 2008, when he was Archbishop of St. Louis. He, had, he knew of my dream. Uh, to flood the world with habits, uh, he invited me to St. Louis to do that. And so it began, and the, the, um, the name of the order 
you have to tell me how much time I have because that's a bit of a story also. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, with that as a little segue here, sister, yes, I think, or Mother Miriam, we'll, we, will get, we will get to that here. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more from Mother Miriam of Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. On one body stewarding God's creation. One body stewarding God's creation. Mother Miriam, founder of Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. One body, one body stewarding God's creation. George Toman conducts the interview. All right, Mother Miriam, I'm going to get out of the way. You have something to share about Our Lady of Fatima, and then going into that, uh, Mother Miriam, if you could talk about kind of the makeup of, of your order. And just to let you know, we have about 20, 22 minutes left before I have okay, to let you go. Okay, that's great. Okay, and um, let me give out our website, because we won't give... Is that all right? Yeah, oh, of course, please. Yes, go yes. for it. Oh, okay, and... Um, uh, it, it is uh, www. because we'll not get to everything today. And if anyone's interested um, to find out more, you can go to www. Mother of Israel's Hope, I S R A E L S, Mother of Israel's Hope. dot org, and we um, we came uh, at the invitation of Bishop Finke, a very beautiful bishop. And um, he asked if we could be here in time for Christmas. He gave us a little over a week to pack from <laughs> Tulsa. So we came here uh, with a big U-Haul, spend two or three weeks, and find a place to live, and then go back to Tulsa and move all our furniture. Well, it's been several months now, and we have just signed a contract on probably the biggest house in Beloit, um, and we've, we've got to uh, fix it up for it to be a convent. We're, we're hoping to take a number of women, many women in there. And so if anyone, uh, if I can just mention this, 18 years old and up, if anyone is interested in exploring the religious life, we have temporary quarters right now, but we can take we have a couple of beds open where you could come from a, for, for some discernment, so you're welcome to do that. Just give us a call or send us an email. Go to Vocation Inquiry uh, on the website and uh, leave us your phone number, and, and, and we'll get back to you. So we're Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. Oh, again, I, I don't have time for that. I don't think I have time for that story right now. <laughs> um, I, too, many, too many stories, but let me just say this, and then I'll get into the smaller stories based on our time. I have always believed through my Jewish years, I used to volunteer, I was a jail chaplain for 12 years, women's jail, 10 years, a women's jail chaplain. I volunteered for orphanages, halfway houses. I've always believed that the family is God's number one design to build his kingdom, and therefore the enemy's number one target to destroy. And we don't need proof of that. All we have to do is be living in this world today to know that the family is being destroyed left and right, and all the issues about abortion, so-called same-sex marriage, all of this has nothing to do with anything but the destruction of the family 
because without the family, there's no society, there's no government, there's no church. Without the church, there's no vocations. Without the family and without vocations, there's no priesthood. And without the priesthood, there's no Eucharist. And without the Eucharist, who is Christ himself, the universe would not exist. Satan knows that. And left and right, the family is being destroyed. And so our, our heart is twofold. One, we walk Beloit every day, walk the streets in our habits, and I could write a book. It's been so wonderful. We absolutely love Beloit. We love this town. We're committed to it. We're not leaving. Uh, there are bigger houses outside the town, but we, we uh, look for the biggest one in town because we love it here. We love the people. St. John the Baptist Church, Father Conradi is a very holy and beautiful priest. We're truly happy here. So one, uh, two things we do is, one, to walk the streets, to let God know that he's here. He loves them. He hasn't left, no matter what the world looks like, and our habits are a sign of heaven. And we've had wonderful stories as we, as we walk, even as we shop for groceries and other things. But the second thing, and the biggest, deepest thing on our heart, is the survival and the flourishing of the family. And there's no way for the family to survive but by following God's design. Mm-hmm. And there's no way for civilization itself to survive apart from the survival of the family. A, a, a mother and a father, the mother being the heart of the home, the father being the head of the home. God, you know, we're talking about the, not we haven't today, but the evil of public schools, the evil of the educational system, St. John the Baptist. Uh, I think many of you know, has a magnificent Catholic school. We've had huge families move to Beloit just for that St. John the the Baptist Catholic school and, of course, part of the parish, St. John the Baptist. So we're fortunate here. But most parents who send their children to public school, and even even many, many Catholic schools, the children are being destroyed. Mm. And I would say it's better to send a child to a public school than a Catholic school who doesn't teach Catholicism, (laughs) because then the children think they've learned it, and they leave to go to college, and they leave the faith because they never had it. So my heart is people are afraid to homeschool, but every there isn't a mother who doesn't homeschool her child from the moment of conception, nine months in that mother's womb, She's homeschooling her. From birth until at least kindergarten, she's homeschooling her children. She's teaching them how to speak, how to do things, morals, everything. And the biggest question is, why would any parent spend all that time from conception until four, five, six years old and then turn that child over to the world? it's, It's a horror. And we're so used to it, it's the way our civilization has evolved, but it's not God's design. God has given children to parents to be nurtured, to be raised, to be schooled at home. And so uh, not everybody can afford to do that these days, but uh, whatever the decision must be, when we stand before God, it will not be the church or the schools that will be accountable for our ch- children's education, it will be the parents. Whether or not parents have homeschooled them, if they send them out to a public school or even a Catholic school, it is the parents who must s- 
sit down with the children every single day and feed what they've learned through the grid of their Catholic faith. They will be responsible. So there's my heart, to help families to live God's design. Absolutely. No, beautiful, Mother Miriam, though. Thank you for that. What, in terms of the rule of your your order— what? Mm-hmm. Um, because again, for listening audience, you want to go to that website, especially if you're a young lady who's discerning religious life, and this is starting to sound pretty good. Uh, what is the rule of your order? Give us a brief summary of that, if you would, Mother. Yeah, we're Benedictine, and um, Saint Benedict wrote his order in the 500s, 6th century. Um, he is known as the father of Western monasticism, through whom all religious life uh, in the West uh, comes. Um, the rule of Saint Benedict is. Um, just about the oldest, most respected rule in the Church. It's really beautiful. There are other rules, uh, St. Augustine and, and the rule of uh, that the Carmel follows and Dominican, uh, but this is really, really... I didn't know very much about St. Benedict at all. St. Francis de Sales is my hero in life, and I believe he led me to St. Benedict. It's really beautiful. So it's, it's well-structured, and it's all about family. Every convent, or we call it a priory, Benedictine priory, uh, is autonomous and follows that rule, but the idea is that we form a family. A famous uh, comment of St. Benedict is that we run in the way of God's commandments. We run out of love. We don't do things out of coercion, but totally out of love. So we follow that here. We're not totally contemplative. We're contemplative active because we have an apostolate to the family and actually to anybody we meet on the street. We've helped homeless people. We've helped youth groups. We've, we'll, we'll be available for anybody at any time. It, it, it's, uh, everything is part of the family. And so we pray, just an idea, we, we begin prayer at 5 in the morning, and we end at 8.30 at night. We pray matins and lords, and then prime and sex and vespers and compline. We have a holy hour every single day uh, before the Blessed Sacrament. The theme of the Benedictine life is ora et labora, pray and work, pray and work. And that's what we do. And we take women of any age, any age. Uh, I've always said we take women from 18 to 118, but if you're 119 and you can keep the rule, I'll make an exception. So right now we're few, and um, we have people coming. I mentioned we have two beds that are free for anyone who wants to come and discern with us, and we've had women come just about every week to discern. We have somebody here now for two weeks and somebody in June for two weeks discerning with us. And so anybody who wishes, you're welcome to give us a call. If you wish, I can give you... Our, our, the only phone number we have right here in Beloit that happens to be my cell number. So I'm a little hesitant to give it out only because my phone won't take too many calls. But if you go to um, uh, motherofisraelshope.org and click on vocations, you can read our charism there. You can download it and read it. You can go to the contact and just email us at vocationinquiry at motherofisraelshope.org. Org. So, um, have I answered um, pretty much what we're about? We oh. We're a full habit, full Benedictine habit, and we keep the rule, and, and it's, a, it's a life of heaven on earth to those <laughs> who are called to it. 
Yes, no, and, and I want to quickly say, so again, folks, if you, even if you type in Mother Miriam's name on, on YouTube, for instance, you're going to find um, at least one interview I know from, from uh, um, Father Mitch Pacwa's show on EWTN, and, and Mother goes into more information there, and I, and I quickly wanted to say, Mother, you know, I'm so happy to hear about your, your dedication of wearing the habit and having it part of your, of your life, yeah. because you mentioned a story, again, I don't want to steal your story here, but you mentioned you were, I think you said to Father Mitch, you were in a store, and a, a lady came up to you and was like, are, are you a nun? And you responded, That's and obviously, right. and then that that lady was like, "Oh my gosh, I haven't. I thought you all were gone. I thought you, you know, you were all eliminated. I, I haven't seen I one of you forever." You were yeah. I thought you were uh, uh, distinct. She said, um, "Is that am I saying it right? Yes, distinct? yes, yeah, 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 yeah. You were eliminated. You weren't here anymore." One other little girl came up and said, "Are you Jesus's mommy? It, it's just heaven. It's just so beautiful." Um, many, many, many stories. Uh, we walk through the streets, and little children say, look, Mommy, just like in the movies, because they <laughs> haven't seen none in these days. I, I want to say, as our time is going short, I just recently met Donetta mm-hmm. and learned of Divine Mercy Radio. And so this is, I'm new to you all, and I'm thrilled about your apostolate. I, I just can't thank you enough because I know the power of radio. And I know I've been on the radio uh, many different ways and times for a number of years. And I know, and Pope Paul II, um, Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict both said this there is no greater form of media to reach people than radio, unbelievably greater than even the Internet. But because radio can go in third-world countries where there's no electricity, radio can go even where there's no batteries, and it is a fantastic and private form of communication. When I was Protestant, I was listening to a Protestant evangelical station, and in the middle of the afternoon, a Catholic program came on, and I said, Catholic? program at a Protestant station. How Heresy. could they do that? <laughs> what, what, how could they... Don't, don't those Protestant evangelicals care about truth? They're going to get Catholic falsehood out on their... I was astounded that they would... But the, but the gentleman that had that program knew scriptures, and he was a cradle Catholic, better than Protestants, who memorized all the scriptures. And um, he, he... I'd never heard such a clear articulation of the Catholic faith, so what I did, this is just, I could laugh every time I tell this, what I did, I lived in a little parsonage of the, of the church I was a part of, and big windows, and people could look in and see me. So I made an appointment on my calendar to listen to that Catholic program every uh, once a week when it was on, and I would close the blinds in my house so nobody could see me listening to the music. Why would I, a Protestant, listen to a Catholic program? And so that helped me into the Church. I thank Catholic Radio that I am Catholic today, and I don't know your form of donation or where people need to call or how they give to you, but I I want to urge um, everyone listening, everyone listening, to donate to Divine Mercy Radio. because they're fully Catholic, and that's what we need. The faith is being snuffed out today. I really believe we're in a time of apostasy. And any faithful apostolate, we need to support it.
And Mother Miriam, um, as we enter about our last five minutes together here, I just want to say you are a friend of Divine Mercy Radio, and so I hope we get you on for future carathons, and even some more things beforehand, maybe get a couple talks or something to talk about sure. your order, and, and again, we're we're here to support you too, and so real Thank quick, you. Mother, yes, you bet. I Due to the five minutes we have left here, and again, great conversation, I wish we could keep going, I'm going to leave the floor open to you for the next five minutes. Um, you just got here to Beloit, relatively speaking. And mm-hmm. uh, how can we help you? You 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 tell us how can we help you? Both, you know, would it be financial needs, spiritual needs? You you tell us. Let let the, the audience know. I'll give you the floor. We had uh, enough money to to buy the home, but we're going to need about three hundred thousand to make it into a convent. So there, we have a donate button on our website. But again, I don't want to tell. If you have a choice. If you can only give to to our religious order versus Divine Mercy Radio, I I would beg you to give to Divine Mercy Radio. They will because when you do that, you reach thousands of souls that you'll never know about this side of heaven. And the the, the greatest gift of all is prayer, of course. That's the greatest gift. How else you could help us other than financial gifts and prayer? I would just say to we also have oblates, kind of a third order. People can join our work by becoming an oblate uh, from your home. You could be a family, you could be single, men, women, it doesn't matter. Uh, the greatest uh, thing on my heart, again, is the family. So love, uh, Archbishop Chaplin said the greatest gift a father can give his children is to love their mother. And the greatest gift, of course, conversely, a mother can give her children is to love their father. Children learn what they see. If they, if you douse them with gifts and hugs and all that, they will not feel secure or loved. But if they see love, they will be secure and they will be happy. If they see parents loving one another, even kissing one another in the kitchen, the child will feel secure. So the greatest thing you could do for us is to know how seriously God takes the family and to live it. Don't go to bed with sin on your or heart or with uh, anything against anyone else. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We are being persecuted with the COVID situation and with the evil government we have in power right now. It is uh, becoming more evil every day, and we need to be a strong, faithful remnant of God's people who help one another and reach out to every soul in the world because we have the only thing that every single soul needs for salvation. Amen, Mother Miriam, and and, and thank you so much. Okay. Mother Miriam, again, I wish we had more time, but I'll need to let you go. Thank you so much for this great talk this morning. And again, yeah. we'll be reaching out to you soon. You're a friend of the station now, and so hope uh, okay. we'll, we'll, we'll be definitely reaching out. And um, and again, God bless you, and we're looking bless forward to the you. future. And we'll keep you in our prayers, too. And anybody is welcome to drop by and say hello to us anytime. There we go. Thank you, Mother okay. Miriam. You have a great rest of your day. God bless you, you all right? Too. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's One Body Stewarding God's Creation show. To contact Mother Miriam, go to motherofisraelshope.org. That's motherofisraelshope.org. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsburg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Somebody, somebody.
God's creation.